Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. A quick reminder, there are sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. If you've got something cool working with V6, we definitely want to hear from you. So come join us on the V6 Buzz. Uh, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and it's Scott Hogue. And today we're going to be talking about CLAT for enterprise use. And uh, I, I guess... Uh, you know, maybe we should start off with explaining exactly what a CLAT and a PLAT and 464X is all about, maybe where it came from and uh, and why it might be useful for folks. And in this context, we are talking about uh, situations where you have IPv6 only clients, right? That's what the CLAT is. The client side um, uh, of this is, is really dealing with is being able to translate for v6 only clients. Um, I don't know. Let's. I, I guess we break it down in terms of explaining where this fits in the in the ecosystem and why it's around. I think we could all agree that we've seen this mainly in use at service providers, right? Um, we've seen folks like T-Mobile, and specifically T-Mobile is part of the team that helped put together the whole transition technology uh, for themselves because they run a V6-only network, and uh, and they need to be able to provide IPv4 access for those V6-only clients or handsets that are running around on their their cellular network, right? Yeah, that's where the 464 comes right. from, you know, a V4 application or service needing to connect over a V6 service provider network out to the IPv4 internet. Right. Because if it was a V6 application across the V6 only core network, it would just work to the V6 only <laughs> internet. It wouldn't need any translation. It would just use its global unique address. <laughs> right. That's the way it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, um, and, and, you know, T-Mobile had to address this because, you know, every, every handset that they hand out, they don't get to control the applications that run on your handset, right? Your handset just joins their network, comes on as a V6, onto the V6 portion of the network for the data side. And it just operates, right? And so they needed a, a, some sort of method that ran inside the client devices. And, and there was two different ways to tackle this. So sort of the Apple ecosystem way, and then there's the Android way, right? And Apple just chose to go out and turn, you know, make everyone in their app store support IPv6. That was the easy button for them, right? Uh, in terms of addressing that. But, but uh, that didn't necessarily work for the Android ecosystem simply because of, so the diversity, the fact that you can sideload and you don't have a requirement for the app store that everyone has to get everything from. And so suddenly you needed to have more robust sort of support for something that may have an IPv4 literal address in there that's not using DNS, right? So you just need to be able to support it. And so this little CLAT sort of fakes out the operating system, I guess, too. So you could sort of think of it that way. I guess it fakes out the app, not the operating system, because the operating system is doing this. <laughs> yeah, because right. this is translation. Right. The other method of, you know, getting a, a V4 island to talk to the V4 ocean on the internet is to do a tunneling, you right. know, encapsulate the V4 packets in V6, take them across the V6-only service provider network, and then decapsulate them and send them out to the IPv4 internet. So what we're doing here is we're translating. We're translating a V4 connection into a V6 connection. And then at the service provider edge, doing the reverse translation from V6 to back to V4. Um, rather than tunneling, which adds, you know, protocol overhead as a result of the encapsulation, we're, we're translating. Right. And we and, and Android supports that by 
putting a little shim in that mm -hmm. basically provides an IPv4 address on, on the Android handset. And we'll talk about this just from the server provider basis right now, but and it provides that capability directly in, in the OS. And so anything that's trying to talk to a literal just talks to that IPv, IPv4 address that's sort of provided by that little CLAT. And then it, it sort of packages that thing up and sends it across the V6 portion to the to the end destination that is doing NAT64. And that doesn't look any different than really than DNS64, NAT64 is a combination. You just need to know the prefix and, and you're off to sending the traffic where it needs to go. And then it just translates it back to V4 on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. So so that's really in essence what's going on. But I think we're interested in talking about this the CLAT, not the PLAT side, uh, not the provider side, but the the sort of that client side, right? Of of what's going on. And and it's really interesting because there's there's sort of been a new um new exploration about where this can be used and and that that new area is really can we use it for IPv6 only client devices that exist in an enterprise network, not necessarily on a service provider network, right? Um, I guess that's the new sort of twist that we we sort of want to talk about um and and how that's how that's you know a big potential for for solving v6 only and translation problems within enterprise networks mm -hmm. and, and maybe we need to define a little bit about what some of those problems could be so that we understand why this is interesting <laughs> yeah well i mean one of the big ones is in the federal space where there's a mandate to get to ipv6 only um you know certain percentages over the next uh, couple of years uh, uh, culminating in 80 percent at uh, by the end of 2025 uh, and so having having to have an ipv6 only you know some number of of devices that you can claim are ipv6 only uh, leads one to that the the place where you're you're grasping at any architectural solution that might get you there sooner than well, later, and maybe right. that's and maybe that's the the use case that that is uh, is driving at least some of the interest in in uh, IPv6 only uh, with CLAT uh, and all the other possible ways you can do it. You know, DNS 64 NAT 64 uh, is another another mm -hmm. method, but yeah, that's maybe that maybe that's a big driver. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think I think the other issue is that there's some holes in DNS 64 and NAT 64. I think classically we've always said in the enterprise space, just use DNS 64 and NAT 64. And most folks are like, okay, that's fine. And I think for many environments, that's going to meet or be sufficient for most of the requirements that they have. But the issue becomes in sufficiently large networks, you eventually run into applications that had embedded IPv4 information in it of some type, and that it's not utilizing DNS for whatever reason, legacy reasons, bad coding reasons, doesn't really matter. But the fact of the matter is it can't make use of the DNS 6.4 side. It can't make use of that you know, resolver to lie to you on your behalf to give you, right, a, a fake uh, prefix uh, that's that's sent over to the DNS 6.4 side to, to get you off the network uh, in the way that that needs to happen. Or you might have a particular application that will only bind to an IPv4 address on a given host, right, because of the way the code is written. And you can't really change it. You don't have access to the code uh, or it's a third-party app or whatever the reason may be. And you can't... You literally can't run the app on a system that has a v6 only address and has no v4 address at all right that becomes a sort of a core core corner case but i you know those corner cases become larger and larger the bigger and bigger your network gets with more complexity and more applications right um i think that's 
I think that's a, a core issue. So DNS 6.4 doesn't become useful for you. So how do you how do you still make use of NAT 6.4, but you need some sort of capability to to basically allow the client, which is a V6 only client, to connect to V4 resources. And the way that you can do that is with a CLAT, right? Because it puts a small little IPv4 stack on that operating system and allows whatever that app is to bind to that V4 address and do what it needs to do and then get translated out across a V6 only network to the you know, NAT 6.4 service and then be able to get out to the V4 internet if it needs to talk to that or if it just needs to talk to V6 resources, it can still do that through a regular translation service like a server load balancer or, or something else of that nature. Yeah, the little CLAT could be inside the mobile phone or could be mm -hmm. at a in a CPE device. Yes. And it's you could think of it like it's doing a a stateful net for six. You know? <laughs> uh, it's taking, you know, connections that are destined or or using that um that IPv4 address inside of that, you know, end node and translating that into a V6 connection. And the address that is used for that uh, CLAT, or if you were ever looking at your addresses on your device and you notice that it had this 192.0.0. something, Mm -hmm. uh, address. It's a 192.0.0.0 slash 29. It's called the IPv4 service continuity prefix, RFC 7335. Uh, and that's what you'll see as a, as maybe a, a clue that your device is using a CLAT and, or you may, uh, depending on your operating system, you may actually see that you have a, a CLAT interface, an interface named CLAT, or you'll see CLAT somewhere where you're looking at your addresses and your interfaces, you may get a clue that, that that's been activated and V4 connections will go to that service continuity prefix. That's where the V4 default route is. Right. But that is an interface to the CLAT, which will then translate that V4 only connection into a V6 connection across the service provider network. Right. So I guess the next logical question is, how do we trigger the CLAT to actually turn on? Assuming that we have one available on our host operating system, we have to have some sort of way to tell it like, hey, <laughs> you know, I'd like you to turn on and I'd like you to function in the network. Um, and, I, and I guess there's a, a couple different methods that are that are available to do that. Maybe we talk through those um, sort of briefly. Um, but I, I think folks need to know it's it's just not hanging out and on by default, right? It's something that actually needs to have some sort of method or trigger or process or policy, right? That actually tells it to turn on um, so, so that it does the thing it needs to do. Because you could be on an IPv6 only network and only access V6 resources. And if you just don't care about IPv4, you don't have to use this at all, right? Um, if you don't need to talk to v4 resources at all i don't know very many shops that are like that <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but that's true right like there's no requirement um and it's it's also a case of are you lucky enough that a clat actually exists for your os maybe we cover that in a few moments here but um how, how do we actually trigger this thing what's the process that we go through to actually get this thing to you know click turn on provide that 192.0.0.0 slash 29 address and then how does it know where to go to send traffic? Like there's some information that we need to provide this thing in order for it to operate, right? 
Um, so I guess I guess we should start there because there's a couple of yeah. that sort of describe what happens there. Yeah, there's really like a handful of methods. One is maybe the host operating system just detects that it failed DHCP for IPv4. It ends up with an APIPA address, or maybe the host operating system just recognizes I do not have a public v4 address or even a private v4 address i have no v4 address so let me just activate it take it upon myself to activate it that may be one method another method would be to use dns the client can make some specific dns requests uh and uh to you know uh to this uh, IPv4only.arpa domain. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that will tell the client what the prefix is that it should be using, whether it's the NAT64 well-known prefix 64 colon FF9B colon colon slash 96 or a yep. network specific prefix. That's that's one method. Another and the method. Fact that, and the fact that that record exists tells it to turn the CLAT on, right? So it's, Yeah, you'd have yeah. to put that into a DNS server somewhere inside of the, the service provider network for that particular domain that the client is using right? Uh, so that it would find it. Another method is to hear pref64, this pref64, the prefix that's going to be used for this synthetic you know, prefix. Uh, that could be advertised in a router advertisement to the client mm-hmm. in RA option 38. Um, there's a, a method of using port control protocol, PCP. Uh, there's a, a draft to have a DHCP v6 option indicate that. Um, so there's a variety of, of ways. Yeah. So. I, I think we've sort of explained sort of the use case, how the CLAT and the PLAT function where, where sort of 464 XLAT sort of fits in the picture and some of the structural problems with the DNS64, NAT64. And so in essence, I guess how it's useful for enterprises is if you're running a V6 only network segment, um, you know, a, v, a given set of VLANs for client network resources or maybe wireless networks or something else, but you have something that can't use DNS64 you now have an option to be able to use right a CLAT on that device, assuming it's available. So Android handsets have this available, which means you know you can well, likely Chromebooks are going to be able to make use of this. You can use Android handsets, um, uh, iOS or Apple devices. So iOS and Mac OS have mm-hmm. this capability, mm-hmm. um, and so they they should work and function just fine. And then straight Linux machines, you have to do a special daemon in order to get this to operate. And I imagine if you're willing to play around on that. I, I haven't tested a desktop version and seen, seen whether this actually functions or not. I don't know, Scott, if you have either, but yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so, there's FreeBSD. If you were doing IPFW, that has a CLAT. Jewel.mx. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that has a CLAT function. Uh, there's a an open source CLAT implementation for Linux. You can do Tundra, uh, NAT64. Uh, yeah, so there's some open source implementations, but you'd have to download, you have to actually compile, and right? Do all the work. Up. Yeah, yeah. So they're not out of the box in the same way that maybe Apple's devices or Android devices will, mm-hmm. will operate. And then the, the one that's lacking in, in the in the mix right now is Windows. 
um, in terms of the Microsoft side, while they do have a CLAT in the OS, <laughs> right? It's it's not enabled for wired and wireless interfaces, at least at this point in time. Um, and so it's it's something that I think is in the works. But I think if that gets released, that would be very transformational for many organizations because suddenly you have the capability to truly run a V6 only network from at least the transport side. Um, to get traffic from v6 only client related devices all the way out to both v6 and v4 related networks and that includes even for yourself internally your own ipv4 internal network so you could have this client device right that is v6 only use the clat and be able to talk to an ipv4 only resource that exists maybe internal to your network and not even not even anything that's external on the public internet it's perfectly possible to do that also and so this gives you a lot of flexibility and a lot of options for maybe um, applications that had embedded IPv4 information in it that you're running internally that said like, oh, this should never talk to the internet. So we embed the, you know, RFC 1918 address that we use to talk to that particular resource. So we never have this, you know, go to the outside world, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then it should work. And this gives a little bit more runway for maybe the network team that is trying to get to V6 only. But the app teams can't test all their resources yet, or the desktop team can't test all their resources yet on v6 only networks, or they identify particular applications that are like, yeah, these have embedded IPv4 information in them, we can't get them to change it, it's going to be six months, two years before they can get in and change the code. It's just not top priority for them, but we still need to be able to run on a v6 only network, how do we do that? You know, we can't get DNS 6.4 to work for this because it doesn't even look up DNS information. And this is exactly how you do that. And so I would recommend to the audience, you actually keep an eye out for this sort of CLAT support and operating systems because it gives you another tool in your tool belt um, in order to uh, in order to run V6 only networks, right? Yeah, and this could be implemented in an enterprise just like it would be in a service provider network. And then... You would, you know, use a CLAT, either an open source one or one that comes, you know, by default, an host operating system like an Apple operating system. And then you could build a PLAT and that PLAT can be configured just like any other stateful NAT 6.4 is configured. It can be configured on a router, a firewall, a server, you know, with good amount of compute resources right. and bandwidth capability. Uh, so it could be implemented at the perimeter of the network. It could be implemented in the place where you put that PLAT could be in your data center or out on your internet perimeter, close to the V4 internet. Um, right. You could choose where to place that. So do we cover enough around sort of the CLAT and the enterprise use case? Because I think it's pretty well understood in the service provider space, but I think this is sort of unique in terms of, uh, you know, another another tool in the tool belt for enterprise folks. And that's something that they need to keep track of and keep an eye out for as things sort of change, especially maybe if you're in a federal organization, this is something that you would want to keep your eye on in terms of being able to support running those, sort of hitting those numbers on V6 only, because really your client devices are what's going to allow you to sort of meet the the mandate numbers that are laid out there from, 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 uh, from the OMB memo. Yeah, I'd say it's definitely something you would want to have represented in your proof of concept lab. As you're trying to see if, you know, end user desktops can function in an IPv6 only network, um, access network, then you want to have an access network that might have the ability to trigger 
that CLAT or indicate to the end node that it should use, you know, its CLAT by either, you know, indicating PREF64 in a variety of different ways. You may want to have, you know, take that laptop, put it to a V6 only network without, you know, PREF64, see if an application breaks, move that computer to a network to an, you know, a parallel IPv6 only network with PREF64 and then see if the CLAT activates and then see if the act, if the application starts to work. Yeah. You know, or, you know, how do you ferret out, you know, the applications that may still be trying to make an IPv4 socket connection without doing DNS first? You know, you can look at certain processes, you know, do uh, network network forensics analysis tools. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you could do packet captures. You could look for DNS queries that are still trying to to resolve to v4 specific addresses. Um, there's a variety of different ways, but you could simply just do a, a an AB test. A network is a v6 only network without indicating press 64. B would be the network you could move that application to test it and say, oh, it does work. If there is a CLAT, the CLAT can be that uh, safety net underneath the, the, and catches all the things that don't go through uh, DNS 6.4, NAT 6.4. Right. Yeah, that, and, and that makes sense in terms of a strategy for, um, for those sorts of organizations that have the capability, right, to run a proof of concept. Um, and this is, I, I I don't know. Do you guys consider this like um, an in addition to DNS six four NAT six four? Would you still run mm -hmm. DNS six four NAT six four in addition? I think this is something you yeah. would run mm -hmm. both. Um, is my feeling, but yeah, um, that PLAT could be your normal, you know, NAT six four function. Right. Uh, the PLAT could be using the same prefix for CLATs that are doing yep. their own translation. I think you're also taking advantage of the fact that you're not relying on the operating system stack and its implementation of CLAT. So, I mean, if you mm -hmm. can do DNS 6.4, NAT 6.4, you know, you're sort of off, you're sort of offboarding that functionality, and and the the host OS can just be the host OS that's you know running v6 or v4 in in the more traditional way uh, with with the CLAT you know activation and the the architecture that you choose to set up because as Scott mentioned there's lots of different ways to trigger it which means there's lots of different potential architectures there and unfortunately there's probably going to be some some jitter lots of ways lots yeah. of ways to fail <laughs> well just I'm, I'm just thinking jitter in terms of how the operating system you know vendors have implemented the CLAT and how that might right. change subtly over time where something that's working today in a particular architecture suddenly stops working tomorrow so right. that's another thing that you would really want to sort of you know, have have a regime in place to be able to test on a regular basis to make sure whatever CLAT architecture you're you're trying to use is, is working. And that's where DNS 64, NAT 64, if it works in your environment, sort of makes that problem go away. You don't have to rely on on CLAT stability on the host OS. Right. I think the DNS 64, NAT 64, because it's centralized and it's it's inter, sort of enterprise managed, right? It's 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 a and if it's it's probably going to solve 90, 95, 98% of of application use cases, mm -hmm. but that 2% can absolutely stop you in your tracks from deploying IPv6 only, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so what we're trying to do is say, well, that CLAT addresses that 2% in a way that is useful because mm -hmm. it makes it look like IPv4 is running on the local 
host operating system because it is. <laughs> it really is, right? And so it solves that particular problem, but still allows you to run on a V6 only, effectively a V6 only client access network mm -hmm. and addresses that that small little gap and it 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 allows you to still hit the gas pedal to convert those client access networks to v6 only networks uh, assuming that you don't have other structural issues that would impede or prevent you from doing so and there's not a guarantee that um um you know that uh, that all the devices that would operate in a given client network, like you don't have a CLAP for maybe printers and things like that. And so you may have different things that you may have to divide in different use cases or, or make use of actual VLANs and separate you know, functional duties to be able to address each one of their needs. But I think this is just another tool in the tool belt that everyone should be aware of and that they should recognize that it's where its function is and hopefully we get um, more ubiquitous support for CLATs and across many different client devices and 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 that they support many different triggering mechanisms to actually yeah. get them to operate right yeah the the nice thing about dns64 is it works great for most web-based applications and the end user using a web browser doesn't know that they put in a fully qualified domain name that then triggered the dns64 synthesis that tricked out the web browser right to make a certain kind of e6 connection that then got translated there wasn't any software we had to install on the client. It was just the standard web browser. Um, now, with a CLAT, you need a piece of software to run on the on the end user's computer. And we prefer to have that installed by default, not have to be a separate package that has to be added. And you want to be able to trigger that in an automated way so you don't have to go and individually bespoke configure <laughs> each end user's computer and activate that CLAT you know, manually, you'd like it to be an automated method and have the end user device just automatically detect what kind of a network they've plugged into and act accordingly. Um, so I would say DNS 6.4 or DNS 6.4, NAT 6.4, where you can, 4.6.4 XLAT, where you must. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're getting a lot of uh, mileage out of that rhetorical construction, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scott. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> dating, dating back for at least a decade. Yep. Yeah, more than a decade now. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's good coverage, uh, for those, we would love to hear, uh, audience feedback around this one. Have you made use of it? Is this something that you're keeping track of? Is this something that you're interested in? Uh, what would you like to see done around CLAT and, and use cases? Do you see this as uh, something good, bad, positive, not, <laughs> we'd love to hear all the comments around it. Cause I think it's, it's very new. Uh, in terms of at least enterprise deployment, it's not new in terms of service provider, but for enterprise and that consideration and and making use of it, it's very very new. And I think um, it's it's going to be it's going to be it's going to take a little bit for everything to sort of bake out and for the rest of the industry to sort of determine whether this is the right direction to go and does this does this really solve and address issues. My belief is it will solve and address many issues for folks that are trying to get to V six only related client access networks. I think it's going to be super useful, but that is entirely just my opinion. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you feel the same way or if you feel like, hey, it's just another tool in the tool belt and we've got lots of them. So let's add another one. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> cool. Well, unlike V6, we run out of space for this podcast. You can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on 
Twitter or X or whatever it's called at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on X. Uh, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue. And I'm at E. Horley. And uh, because X seems to be having all sorts of challenges, uh, we really recommend you head over to packetpushers.net slash FU to send follow-up questions and comments about the show. We appreciate all of them that we get. Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. And please recommend the show to friends and colleagues. We always appreciate that. And if you like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.